In the holy name of Jesus, amen. amen. I'm sure most of you have your Christmas tree up by now. I see a hand? I'm not going to shun you if you do. It is Advent. It's that weird beginning of the church year where it doesn't quite make sense what we're doing. Everybody else outside of this place is fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. They've been doing that since late August. And now we come into this place and there are no Christmas trees yet. There are no bows or tinsel or anything else. There is this wreath up here, and we're not even talking about how you can prepare for Christmas, but how you can prepare for the end of the world. Great. Nothing like a great pick-me-up to go straight to the end as we begin a new church year. But that's how God is with us. As everybody else is preparing for Christmas, we too are preparing for Christmas, and if you have your tree up, great, that's a perfectly fine thing. But you'll notice outside when all of this takes place. It all takes place in the darkest time of the year. You know, when you wake up and you think, oh, it must be 2 o'clock in the morning and it's 7.30. When you get at home maybe early from work and it's 4 o'clock and you think it's 8 o'clock at night. Never mind the time change and the seasonal differences. It is a season where light outside is not as much as it is during the summertime. It is a season and a time where things seem dark, darker. But Advent and Christmas are a season of light and of preparation. And Advent is that Lutheran holiday, Lutheran season, as well as other churches who follow this, where we take time not to focus on Christmas, but to look at ourselves, to look at our world, and to remind ourselves that Jesus Christ will come to judge both the living and the dead. You'll probably get tired of this after a while. That's why we have the Pink Sunday coming up in two, two, two weeks. This is a time where we go against the world and against our culture and our society that's all about tinsel and presents and everything else, and we focus on the fact that Christ is going to return. We focus today on the hope that we have that Jesus is going to return to judge both the living and the dead. And if you've been over with us the last several weeks, if you've been with us in our study of the book of Revelation, we have heard over and over again that this is not a, a day of great fear and trembling, but this is where Jesus returns for his faithful ones, and we can all breathe a collective, ah, finally. Finally, he has come to fulfill all that he has come to do for us. But today, in our readings, I want you to focus on what you heard from our gospel reading concerning Palm Sunday. And that's the other thing. It's not weird enough that we're focusing on the end of the world, but now we've got a reading from Holy Week at the beginning of Advent. And it doesn't make much sense, but hear me out. Behold, your king is coming to you humble, 
Think about that first word there. Behold. That's a word you don't really use. You don't come home from work and say, Behold, honey, I am home. You don't look at your football team or your baseball team and say, Behold, they won this game. We don't use this kind of language. And when it's used in the scriptures, when you come across that behold, it means something important is happening. This is where the record is scratched to a stop. Everything gets halted. And God says, all eyes on here, all ears, everybody pay attention to what's going on. God is about to do something good and big and important. Behold, God doesn't check with you to make sure it's okay. He doesn't run the menu by us before we start eating. Nope, God says, I will operate when and how I please, no matter what you think of it or when you think it should happen. It will be done. There's Jesus doing it. And here we are thousands of years later, and we certainly can't say in and how it needs to get done. We can't revise the history or twist it to our own needs. We can't even look at it or look away from it and ignore it. Behold, look right here, God is doing something. Here is the plan of salvation. Here's how it works, and here is the only way it will work. Because God has said so. God has done so. Period. End of story. His way or no way. Psalm 118 says this well. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's already done. You didn't get to vote whether or not the sun rose today. It just happened. And in all of this, in all of this talk of Jesus returning, you get to marvel and rejoice in it. Behold, your king. We don't really like kings in this country. It's kind of the way we started our country, if you think about it. We fought wars to be free of kings. We disliked the idea of one person sitting on the throne, so much so that if we elect a president, no matter who it is, we make sure that Congress passes laws instead of him. We make sure that he doesn't control the courts or even most of the time half the country. We will grumble and complain if he tries to do otherwise. We have the freedom of speech, the freedom to gather here together, and that's the way we want our leaders. We don't really think much of kings, other than the tabloids and their fawning after the royal family in England. But Jesus says today, behold your king, and you know what that means? He's the king of kings and lord of lords. Tough. Church. You have a king. And you know what that means? What the king says goes. We are not in charge. We don't get to vote. He's the king. He's going to do what he's going to do. And he knows what is good for you. 
And that's how it is. Jesus is in charge of you. No matter how we try to grease the wheels, no matter how we try to play the game, no matter how much we try to butter up to God, this king is going to come. But he's coming not to scare the pants off of you. He's coming to say to you, come and receive the inheritance prepared for you since the foundation of the world. You have received the king's inheritance by the death and resurrection of Jesus. He is coming with power. He's coming as one who's in charge. He's coming and you cannot hide from him. But he comes to you today. Not to make you terrified of him. But to give you his gifts. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so the strong, powerful king comes to you. And yet we heard today, your king is coming to you humble, on a donkey. Really? Where's the Clydesdale? Where's the draft horse? Where is the largest horse that you can think of with the king and his minions of armies? Where is this king who looks like he should come with power and great might? I mean, after all, we kind of like leaders who've got a little bit of bravado and swagger. We don't want our leader to come all humble and meek and lowly, but that's what God does. God works in opposites. He comes humble, mounted on a donkey because every king of Israel prior to him came riding on a donkey. He doesn't come to fight like normal kings come, he comes to lay down his life for you. And that's why we rejoice today. Instead of bringing heavenly armies to wipe out everybody who goes against him, he lets the armies of sin, death, and the devil nail him to the cross. That is his humility for you as he ushers in his kingdom and he gives it to you. I love the kids saying, a thousand presents under the tree. You get even more than that with Jesus and his gifts today. No matter what's on your wish list for four weeks from now, God is not going to be a Santa-like God giving you all that you could ever dream of. Behold, your king comes to you humble today. He comes despite what your desires and thoughts are. He comes despite whatever it is that we're facing in this world. He comes to, this, to you this day forgiving you of all of your sins. He comes whether you're joyful or happy, whether you are rejoicing in your life or you're mourning the loss of loved ones. He comes despite our sinful flesh wanting to be in charge of everything, including his church. He comes not to divide us, but to unite us through his gifts of himself. And for your sake, Jesus has come so that we might be given what we need, not that we want. But more than that, he comes to you. He came to you in your baptism where you were able to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision of the flesh to gratify its desires. 
He comes to you gently through those waters, reminding you who you are, reminding you that your baptism now saves you because it's all about Christ in the waters. He comes to you today to prepare a feast before you in the presence of your enemies of sin, death, and the devil. He gives himself wholly and freely to you to this day to forgive you of all of your sins and to strengthen you in body and soul until he comes again on the last day. Why? Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Christ is coming to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe this? Our hope and our peace and our joy and our love, all of these Sundays of Advent are all found in that wonderful message that Christ is returning to judge the living and the dead. He is the one who is in charge. He is better at being in charge than you are or I am because he actually does what is good for you. As he is crucified on the tree, it might not have been the gift that you want to put on the top of your list this Christmas season, but it really is the best gift because it provides for you the salvation of your soul and also the reuniting of you with everyone who has gone on before you in the resurrection of all flesh. Seeing our loved ones face to face again as we look upon Christ face to face, never to die, never to suffer, never to have the effects of this broken world. And to that end, all that we can honestly say today, and you better get used to it, amen, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever, amen.